0: Hands down, one of the best parts of being a kid was pouring a big bowl of cereal first thing in the morning. But these days, I'm really aiming to cut down on all those carbs, and especially the sugar, so I've mostly given up cereal. That's where Magic Spoon comes in. Magic Spoon is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and there's only 140 calories a serving. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter, And the pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. Magic Spoon is amazing, simply put. It tastes exactly like regular cereal from childhood, but unlike those sugary calorie bombs, it's super nutritious. It's delicious, but healthy cereal that really brings joy to your mornings. Go to magicspoon.com slash BGA to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code BGA at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com BGA and use the code BGA to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode.
1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 384, Company Top 10 CGE Games. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, folks, we are back and we're still back home. We're... Not at gen con live anthony this is this is we're we're not there we we're, we're supposed to be yes. there. I looked at the schedule and
0: we're no, at no, Gen no, con, right? I, can, I can confirm that I, as I look at you, you are in the living room. You are damn not it. in Indianapolis. damn it, man. <laughs> There's not that crazy, ugly brown <sighs> carpet behind you. <laughs> oh, in no well,
1: this is clearly the worst timeline because we should be at Gen <laughs> con two thousand and twenty two but yet. Sadly enough, that is not the case. Yes, the beds are better, the food's better, there's no lines for the bathroom, but we are not doing all the gaming out there in, in Indianapolis. But if you are, or by the time you hear this, probably on your way back from Gen Con, we hope that you had a great time, and as we record this on you know Friday night, you know our best to everyone out there, hopefully you have a great time, enjoy everything, and be as safe as possible because all the things these days... <laughs> Just all the things. Just cover it right there. So, yeah, we are not live from Gen Con 2022. It just feels that way because literally everything on my phone every second of the day is like, hey, do you know Gen Con's happening? And (laughs) then when it's not about, like, updates from Gen Con, it's like my photos app, which keeps just telling me, remember when you went to Gen Con? You remember when you had this great time? You remember the people? (laughs) Just like, stop it. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) So,
0: yeah, we were there. I remember Gen Con. You remember Gen Con, right, Anthony? That was a thing. We did a thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. It's it's crazy, though. It's It doesn't feel that long, but it's been three years since I went. Jeez. Four years since you went, right? That's so. crazy.
1: Not good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we will try to go next year, barring the next thing that happens. But nonetheless, we, we will try to go next year to uh, Gen Con 2023. Again, shout out to everybody out there. Hopefully having a great time, and we will report if anything big comes up. But we'll talk about some of the big things that are happening a little bit later. But before we get into that, you know, obviously our feature review this week is talking about CGE Games. Uh, CGE Games is, you know, one of our favorite companies producing some of the best board games that are out there. And obviously they are at Gen Con right now having a lot of fun out there. So we'll be talking about their top 10 because... If you don't know CGE, you are certainly absolutely positively missing out. Some of the best games in board gaming come from CGE. And again, having gone to Gen Con for so many years, CGE always had a separate room away from the main floor. So it's completely possible that over the years, you've probably missed a couple of their great games.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. So such good stuff. Like, we we do these occasionally, and I'm like, oh, this is a good one. There's probably a lot of good games here. And I go through the list, and I'm like, these are all amazing. Like I own most of these, and they're all very good. So.
1: Yeah, that's it's surprising coming from one company, too, that they have such a deep bench of just great games. It's not even just like, oh, they have a couple of good games here and a couple of games here. And it's like, no, they, this is a very hard top 10 list to come up with. So uh, stick with us. We will talk about that. So hopefully you'll be able to pick those games up and have all the funds in the world. But before we get into that, Anthony, there's so much good stuff going out with our friends out there, especially what they're talking about. So, what's our question of the week?
0: All right. Question of the week this week I asked people what games would you consider part of the modern hobby board gaming canon? In quotation marks, of course, because canon <laughs> is such a loaded term. But, uh, I see what you did there. Canon yeah. loaded that. <laughs> uh, but, like, seriously, in your opinion, because obviously everything is subjective always in the world a, of
1: critique and criticism. Is that, a, is that a loaded question, Anthony? Is that, is that what you're trying to say? It's super loaded. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's, it's about to, it's about to go off. Um, what are the must plays that should be on everyone's table? What has everybody got to try at least once, whether they like it or not. Right. <laughs> um, so lots of good answers here. And, you know, obviously keeping in mind that what you would play or what would be best for you is going to depend on a lot of circumstances like your group and what you're interested in. And, what you've played in the past and what you know, idea of games that you already have. There are certain games that people say are must plays and I'm like, I don't want to play that <laughs> and I'm not going to play it. Um, but the, there are a lot of good games on this list. So Tim, good friend of the show gives us a whole rundown. He says terraforming Mars Orleans, Azul Sagrada suburbia dominion, seven wonders, Alhambra blood rage, Concordia quacks of Quedlin dinosaur Island, Isle of cats. Um, and then he has a comma there, so I think he meant to go on, but then he stopped. So, <laughs> Thanks, Tim's phone. <laughs> I
1: would say yes to that. I think that's a yes list.
0: Yeah, yeah everything on that list is amazing. So mm-hmm. good, good list, Tim. Um, Vegard says, Cosmic Encounter. I-, I love the reason why. It's a reminder that it doesn't really matter if a game's mechanisms are that good. <laughs> 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 as long as the players are having a great time. Cosmic Nailed it. Encounter is... Cosmic Encounter is nothing more and nothing less than what its players make it out to be. Great. Absolutely. Uh, And some people will have that experience be like, brilliant. This is brilliant. And other people will be like, wow, I hate this. And that's the joy of board games. It's such a subjective experience. So, um, Matt mentions Trois, Concordia, Castles of Burgundy, Terra Mystica, and It's a Wonderful Life. So, a little bit on the heavier end from Tim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I all of these games are great. Uh, Darren mentions the big four for him are Catan, Carcassonne, Pandemic, and Ticket to Ride. Mm-hmm. I think people would generally agree those are like the, the classic gateway games of the last 25 years. Sure. Um, and then additional classics that they're going to throw on there, Azul, Codenames, Terraforming Mars, Dominion, and Seven Wonders. Can't disagree with any of that. Um, mm-hmm. Some other stuff that... No one else, other people did mention Spirit Island from Josh. Fantastic. Mark mentions Power Grid. 100% Mm -hmm. agree. Um, Corey mentions Cascadia, which is on my list now of games that I introduce to anybody I have a chance to introduce them to. Uh, We have over on Twitter, um, Ryan, a friend of the show, Ryan mentions Favor of the Pharaoh as another Mm -hmm. one. Oh, wow. Kingsburg, which. Yes has been released yes. recently so you can actually find it. Mm-hmm. Um Lords of Waterdeep which yes uh, I will add mm-hmm. that you want to throw the expansion in there if you can. Um, Got it. The Networks which is a game that I feel like people buzzed about for a little while and then it kind of disappeared but that is a very good game. So definitely worth trying. And then Prayerborn on Twitter also mentioned Wingspan, Race for the Galaxy and Agricola which nobody else had mentioned those games yet. Uh so Basically what we're saying is if you're newish to the hobby and you're like what games should I try out which is what this question is meant to kind of delve into mm-hmm. go to our Facebook or Twitter page or when this podcast comes out I will have a list of all of these responses on the website just go to oh. question of the week for August 8th nice. and you can see what everybody's recommending and all of them are good so check it out
1: yeah much better going to their houses than Gen Con just saying
0: <laughs> you know the games are good at least <laughs>
1: No, I mean, there's there's a lot of good picks there. I mean, we've, we've talked about the ever-changing, ever-revising list of gateway, starter, canon games that should be in your collection just because they're so good. And I think, you know, there's a real testament to so many of these games that even if they're not my favorite game or a game that I would normally not, like, pick out or throw in the bag, but I feel like I should own it. That's where kind of, it it just... It, there's certain games, they're just, like, a step up. Like, I like to play Dominion. I think Dominion's a good game, but I've never, like, loved Dominion. Like, I've never said to, like, a group of people, like, hey, let's play Dominion. But I feel like you should own Dominion. I think that's a game that you should own because there it's a quintessential deck builder. Like, you should own that. It just makes no sense because I don't love the game. But I'm like, you should still own this. Like, Kingsburg is another game like that. Like, it is the basic... I mean, I don't want to say basic, basic, but it's it's a great gateway entry canon level game to, you know, worker replacement tableau building. And again, fantastic, right? It's just, there are just certain games. and And that's the kind of measure for me where it's like, I just feel like it should be part of my collection, regardless if I want to play it or if like everyone else owns it, I feel like I should own it. So yeah, it's good to have. All right, so if you'd like to add all of your responses and let everybody know what should be in your canon, well, lock it up, get ready, because you can reach our Question of the Week each and every week on Facebook, on Twitter, on Board Gamers Anonymous, on Instagram, and pretty much everywhere where you find board gaming. Please do us a favor, hit us up with a review wherever your podcast player is from. That helps get more board game goodness out to everybody, and it just makes a big impact on us in the industry. So thanks so much for doing that in advance. All right, everyone, so that's what's going on with all of you out there. Let's talk about the things that are happening on our end, and let's get into our acquisition disorder. So, Anthony, it's Gen Con. Everything is happening, all the kind of FOMO, all the great acquisitions that we want to have. We recently talked about the Gen Con list that came out, but what's up
0: for you this week? What are you looking at? So when when I was going to do this, I was like, oh, I bet a bunch of stuff has been announced at Gen Con or things that popped up there that I wasn't aware of. And there are a few things, and we'll probably talk about those in the weeks to come. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted to talk about is the one thing that I probably would have ran over to get sure. if I had been there. And it's not very exciting, but it is a little exciting because this game is going to be expanded for years, and I'm excited for all the new content that's going to come for it. And that's Ark Nova, the first Zoo Map pack. So uh, in Arc Nova, each of the, the Zoo Maps is asymmetrical, right? If you can play with the plain side that everybody has or you can play on the asymmetrical side and there's eight of them in the base box so a lot of replayability already but they kind of hinted in the past they're going to release more of these any game with a map is ripe for this kind of expansion we've seen it with cascadia and power grid and everything in between uh so that's exciting on its own um and I didn't know they would start releasing stuff so soon. And I know there's rumors of other expansions they're working on and everything else, but new maps. So uh, there there are two of them in the box, or it's not a box. I'm sure it's like a little package. But uh, there's a geographical zoo. Um, You get bonuses based on placing uh, animals into different geographical regions of your zoo. So it's broken up by the continent zones. So you want to put the animals in the matching areas. Of the map, which is a cool like placement uh consideration, and then the care center um you can place c- discarded cards that are animals under uh this arrow on your map, and then you get to count them as being in your zoo um you don't get the bonuses and stuff, but you get to count them as being there physically, which is kind of cool, so yeah, new stuff for Arc Nova I don't know we we talked about this when we reviewed it, like what we want to see that's new um. And one of the things that people kind of reached out to us about is that we didn't really talk about the asymmetrical maps, because we didn't delve into them as much as we could have, I guess. Um, And so that's a big part of it. Asymmetry in a game like this definitely adds a lot to it. I I don't know what else I'd want to see, but definitely more maps, definitely more ways to make your own experience unique and asymmetrical, like even beyond this would be great, like different additional starting powers or like starting animals or something like some direction. To, to push you in um but new maps is always fun
1: yeah i think the one thing and again since this game is somewhat modeled off terraforming mars in a couple of ways i think that same kind of prelude expansion where you do get a starting power and you do get some starting resources and cards that kind of guide your progress a little bit more because i, I do think you get that initial hand of cards you're like cool like just like basically again like terraform mars I can't do anything with this, these cards, at least not until later in the game. So that's kind of an odd thing. Or again, something with the market would be nice because I think that market's just, it's just too long. It's just too deep, but this is great that they're bringing out new maps and new ideas for it. Because like you said, the game is blown up so big. So early on that, you know, we could see this kind of expand and transform and change throughout the time. So yeah, excellent.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And it's, it's ironically like in the discord groups i'm in this is like one of the things that people are running towards this and twilight inscription which it's crazy to me again twilight imperium rolling right i i feel like i'm in the mirror dimension um but arc nova maps people are all over these so good for (laughs) y'all
1: there you go well i want to talk about two big i guess news pieces slash kind of expansions one i'm going to throw in here anthony is wingspan asia this is yeah. the third expansion for Wingspan. I think everyone knows Wingspan. It's, it's a you know card game tableau builder where you put a lot of birds on the on the board and you get a lot of really cool looking eggs and you're able to score a lot of cool points. So this will be coming out in Q4. So maybe by chance we'll have an opportunity to see this at PAX Unplugged, but hopefully for the holidays, everyone will get you know, a chance at it. They've been talking about that at Gen Con, but they don't have a copy on the floor. What they do have on the floor, at least to look at, and this is also Q4, is wingspan nesting box. This is just again a giant box that is going to hold all of your wingspan stuff, including when the box comes out, Asia is going to be in there. So you're going to be able to get that third expansion in that nesting box, and give you an opportunity to put all the other cool stuff in there all at once, you know, shot. So. Yeah, uh, this was honestly the expansion I was really looking forward to. I really like all the different Asian birds that are out there, just gorgeous, amazing creatures. And I guess it's finally nice to have a giant box for all of us that's collected Wingspan up to this point. I don't think it's necessarily needed, but I guess again, if you want to play with all the things at the same time, this is really a cool box. I would like to see something, you know, like a little more thematically, uh, you know, fitting for Wingspan you know, maybe a birdcage or something like this, and not just a box, but sure, a box. So that's coming out. So uh, check those informations online. But yeah, you'll probably see that in Q4. The other thing I want to talk about from my acquisition disorder, and I, I shared this with Anthony, hopefully you all got a chance to see this. There isn't a lot of grail games left, like a lot of games back in the day that were very big and then just disappeared for a lot of different reasons, never to be seen again. A lot of those games have since come out, and everyone at the time thought that would never happen well the one major grail game that was left hanging out there that never no one ever thought that was actually going to get a re-release is getting a re-release and that's HeroScape HeroScape was a game that way back in the day was known for its you know giant plastic board hex maps with armies that you could put together from like regular World War II soldiers, Marvel characters, DVD characters. It just, it kind of was the smash-up of its day. And like Toys R Us and a lot of the big box stores back in the day would sell it. So it was one of those things where you could get it, you could play with everything, and it was a tactical skirmish game. So a lot of fun, very expensive now because obviously everything's out of print and everything was like endless amounts of plastic, but you could actually build up the battlefield, which was really cool. But you know, at this point, it was like endless amounts of money. So, Heroescape Age of Annihilation will be coming out. And there's not too much news on this yet. There is a teaser video that basically shows a bunch of different miniatures in the background. They look D&D-esque. And they look unpainted. So, it's highly likely that these will not be painted. But... Nonetheless, I think for a lot of people out there who like this kind of gameplay, this is a really cool, shocking announcement. Hopefully everyone will get a chance to look at this pretty soon.
0: That's cool. Yeah, we literally just talked about this two weeks ago. It's Mm -hmm. like one of the last ones, and here it is. Coming back.
1: Fantastic. So, yeah, check all those great games out. A lot of acquisition disorders hitting, a lot of little bits of news here and there. And hopefully we'll have updates with them, you know, on upcoming episodes. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that we want to hit our table. Let's talk about the games that did hit our table. We'll let people know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play, they should sit down and play them. The games are a dodge or by chance, rarely if ever, but every once in a while, if those games are the dreaded burn, they should burn them and never talk about them again. Anthony, what do you have up for us this week?
0: All right. So this is a game. We've reached that point of the year where we're reviewing the (laughs) games that came out at Essen last year. And... We actually get two of them today. <laughs> so, um, but this is one I was really excited about. I think we both were mm-hmm. when it was first announced. Um, it's Golem, yes. Ennio Brissini, Virginio Gili, and Simone Luciani. Killer Trenio team Green. there. Such a good team. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of the people working on Grand Austria Hotel and Lorenzo Il Magnifico. So you knew that this was going to be interesting, if nothing else, right? <laughs> Mechanically speaking, and then the theme they go somewhere different and unique with the theme. This is a game based on the 16th century legend of the golem in Prague in Czechoslovakia. It, this creature that was created by the rabbi there to protect his people. Right. And so you are rabbis in the game who create and grow the golems who then move around the different neighborhoods in Prague, uh, followed behind by these little student meeples to keep them in check and accomplishing things things it's not entirely clear what those things are but you're doing (laughs) things and you do have little golem meeples and they're very cool so that's kind of the tale of two games here like that's kind of where this review is going to go is you have this really interesting theme from this really interesting development team and the the front cover is so striking it's like right in your face that golem Uh, mask face you know the clay like crumbling at the top and the the design of the game internally like visually it's there's a lot of really interesting elements to it they really thought about the theme in some ways in other ways it's a very mechanical game where you very very much and like i love these kinds of games like it doesn't usually bother me but it it was still evident what was happening, right? But that, that the game was very much focused on the mechanics and the puzzle and weaving everything together as seamlessly as possible. So at the beginning of every round, you're going to have all these colored marbles that go into this 3D synagogue that you build, and they fall into these different rows, and you can take a marble on your turn, and that marble will correspond to one of the different rows with an action in it, And then the number of marbles in that row when you take it is the power of that action. The color of the marble when you take it is the student you're going to move on the road. And the reason you move the students is to keep the golems under control. So there's a lot of like interconnected systems here. Um, The five actions that are available there are, and this is where the bulk of the game comes in, is these five actions. You're going to work, so you either pay knowledge, which is little blue tokens, and that allows you to activate the golem where they happen to be in Prague. So each row uh, on the board is basically like this little road that you can move down, and wherever the golem happens to be at that point, there'll be an action associated with that position. And those actions get increasingly more powerful the further down the road you get, um, because there's more risk when you move further down the road. So when you take the work action, you pay those little tokens, you take a bunch of actions, you get a whole bunch of stuff. Always fun getting stuff. Uh, There's the golem action, which lets you take... clay, and then build golems with the clay. You can also upgrade the developments on your golem, basically powering up the golem to generate more points or generate more resources or make them less likely to cause you trouble in the future. The artifact option gives you coins, and then you can buy gold, and you have like your own little personal player board where you can build artifacts. These artifacts give you all sorts of permanent bonuses, most of them related to income. So you definitely want to do this a little bit because that income is going to allow you to get more stuff at the beginning of each round. There aren't that many rounds, so if you wait too long to do this, it has less of an impact. Uh, The spell action gives you more knowledge and then allows you to perform spells. And so the spell is getting cards from a tableau of cards that are available. You tuck those cards into your personal library and then you get a bunch of stuff. (laughs) You can see where this is going, right? Um, And then the mirror action lets you just take one of those other actions. So it's really just those four main actions. There's also a subset of actions where you can move your rabbi um, meeple to these different tiles that are randomly placed each round. And take some combination of those actions or bonuses of those actions. So the game unfolds over the handful of rounds that you play. And you will be moving your golems. You have to really manage that because there is a track. The more golems you have out, the further they all move. The more movement points you have, you have to spend. If they reach the end of the track and fall off, then you lose points. If they get far in front of the student and there's no other like alternative way to control them that you've developed, then you lose points. So you could lose a lot of points in this game if you don't manage it carefully. I don't think either one of us ever lost points because of this, because we were so, like, laser-focused on it. But I could easily see doing that almost strategically as a way to get more powerful stuff during the game. Um, Managing the marbles, the marble colors, making sure you're taking the right ones at the right time. There's also these, like, patron things that you can try to complete based on the marble colors that you take. So when you take a marble, there's, like, five things you have to keep in your head at once. The end result of this is... There's not a ton of decisions to be made on your turn. You have four actions to choose from, plus your rabbi action. But everything you do is so interconnected with everything else you might do that there's a good opportunity (laughs) for uh, analysis paralysis, for sure. But also, you kind of lose track of the theme. And you really just, it becomes like this big, it's not clunky. It does definitely comes together tightly. But it's a puzzle in such a way that you can't keep all the pieces in your head at once. There's different things. There's different places that points are coming from. It's definitely more, I don't want to say point pointsality, because there's a pretty finite number of places that you can get points from. But you're going to choose a handful of them, and that's where you're going to focus to generate those points. Um, which comes at the end of the game, based on which upgrades you've taken on your personal board. It's good. I enjoyed it. I had fun with this game. I don't think it's their best game at all <laughs> like but that's not saying a ton because lorenzo il magnifico is one of my top 20 games of all time and grand austria hotel moved up a lot after the expansion it's just a lot of overhead to, when you get started right there's a lot to kind of put in, to process to manage and certain things aren't as intuitive as other things based on the theming of the game compared to games like grand Austria where like you're running a hotel. So everything you're doing kind of makes sense in that context or Lorenzo e il Magnifico where you're, you know, building up this, you know, uh, the, the influence that you have. Um, so it does a lot of interesting things. I like a lot of those ideas. The marbles did feel a little tacked on, but I don't really know how you do that mechanic otherwise. And the board is like this big sprawling thing, but I don't know that necessarily needs to be either, but it's, it's one of those games where like, I don't know that I would remove anything either. So sure, it works. Um for me it's a play. Uh a solid play. And I'm gonna keep my copy and I'll I'll play it some more. But it wasn't, it didn't like blow me away the way those other two games did.
1: Yeah, I think I mean if you've played any of their other previous games before, you've played this game in some format. In fact, Gollum seems like um, <laughs> like a Frankenstein's monster kind of version of some of their other games. It's like, Oh, I remember I've seen the marbles and somewhere else. And I've seen, you know, the, uh, the certain action, you know, card selection at the, at the top. Like I, I've seen so many of these different mechanics before that there wasn't anything, you know, surprising about this game whatsoever. It was just, there was a lot, there was a lot to it. Yeah. And, when you look at the game when you play for the first time you really do feel that the the main board where the golems are moving and your students is very large there's a a ton of iconography there once you kind of get it into your head it's not problematic but there's just it's a lot there's a lot to keep track of as far as the tracks are concerned and then you have the marbles and you have your own player board and then you have a certain action board in which you could take you know you, you take your particular actions from that you know interact with the marbles so like basically there's like one two three four like there's just it's a lot it really is a lot and i and i and i get it right like they wanted to use some of their best mechanics from other games in here as you said anthony to be able to power what they wanted to do that being said it is so abstracted in so many different ways that the whole idea of the golems in this game really was was so incredibly anticlimactic because you have them coming out on the board and then moving down the board and it feels like they're just shopping for you. It doesn't yeah. feel like, you know, they are going to a store and they're doing a thing and they're doing a point or they're getting you, a, a you know, a clay or they're picking up some money for you. You're just like... Really gigantic golem going to a store to pick me up, you know, X number of stones or whatever it happens to be. I'm like, that just, it never came across to me that the golems were anything else but just another meeple on the board. And even the students keeping within range of the golems also seemed, or having the students ahead of the golems, also seemed kind of like an arbitrary mechanic. I get it, right? Like, you don't want them to run loose, but what's the worst thing that happens? You lose a couple of points it's not like something's destroyed or you know like there's a catastrophic kind of action or reaction to that there was just at no point did I feel like the golems as far as a mechanic or a thematic part of the gameplay ever just showed up I never felt like it was really ever there and the player boards too and I know I, I asked you this half a dozen times like you take this token and you place on this token, but you have to get the gold to be able to activate this. But there's also another piece you could put there. So it was just like, it was like 12 things.
0: Yeah. So The the artifacts were very fiddly and it it didn't, it didn't fully make sense what you were doing there. The golems make sense when you think about it, what you're doing. It doesn't come through in the mechanics very much, but it it makes sense. And the the one thing I'll add to that though, because I do agree with you about the golems on the road. Like it didn't really feel like that's what you were doing. Well, With the one exception that you you have to kill them sometimes, right? Yeah. They get too powerful. They get too out of control. You make the conscious decision to kill them. And that helps you manage their movement by removing them from the board and starting over on that track. That's a cool mechanic. I like that idea of removing meeples from the game to balance that out and like when to do that and how to do that. But it's also one of those things that you could not do it all. I think you did it once and it doesn't really matter. Like you still manage things. Yeah.
1: Again, I think when you talked about the opening of the game and about the golems in that particular story, what they were doing, how they were defending the city. I never felt that. I never felt that these were our, our guardians protecting us from, you know, incoming invasion or horde. Like earlier we talked about Kingsburg. Kingsburg has that kind of mechanic at the end of the round you have to deal with the invaders. So maybe if the game was a little more focused towards like meeting a certain condition that the golems could kind of line up and defend, and then maybe they get killed that way, that would have felt a little more thematic than, Hey, he's just like two steps ahead of a student. So therefore it's better if I kill him off. I don't, I don't know like and again like you said it was an easy i was worried about that mechanic throughout the whole game i'm like this is going to be crazy it was not crazy at all it was never an issue there's there's like four tracks in the game it's not it's not problematic whatsoever so i mean the game gets a play for me i thought it was some of the some of the better but not necessarily the best but some of the better mechanics uh from their other games that i've seen here before. The theme is very different, and I really appreciate it. The box cover looks awesome. The game is not as difficult and complicated as it looks once you get it on the table. It is a little bit like you really have to kind of wrap your brain around some of these kind of like obtuse mechanics, as Anthony was saying earlier about on your player board, how certain things move to certain places and how you take certain actions on a smaller board based on how the the marbles roll out. But otherwise, it's a fine game. I'm disappointed. I thought it was going to be more, and I thought the Golems were going to be more of a real, active, defense, storytelling, dynamic kind of piece of the game instead of a pick-up-and-deliver and pick up and deliver worker placement kind of element. So still get to play for me. I'd, I'd play it again, but uh, I'd like to see something more substantial done with the Golems. Maybe they could bring out an expansion that, you know puts that into play
0: yeah totally no i'm with you i think there's a lot here to like and it just the sum of the parts doesn't quite come together i think it's the best way to put it like all the individual parts are interesting and i like it sure and i look at any one of those mechanics or systems or themes or artistic elements and i'm like yes that's great like that's <laughs> why i was so excited about it like you look at all the pieces there you know like, this is great yeah and then when you put it all together on the table you're like just doesn't quite click as much as I'd want it to click. It just, like, Lorenzo gives me that feeling. It's like a tight, difficult puzzle with lots of very fulfilling decisions to make. This doesn't quite get to that level.
1: Yeah, I think you mentioned earlier about the marbles, too. The the other Lorenzo game came out with the marbles, and I was like, oh, okay, I, I get this. I mean, this could have been represented by dice, colored dice, like in Marco Polo, but this is fine. And again, it's fine. It's just, it's just fine, and we're in a day and age where games are quite good, and this is quite average. That was kind of a, a letdown, a little bit. So, sure. um, please take my disappointment as my expectations being like this was going to be, this game was going to rock. You know, yeah, yeah, be another fun there. <laughs> uh, I, I really did. I was really, I was really stoked about this game. And I thought it was going to be the, the the best thing ever. And I was just like, it's fine. It's just yeah. a, it's just
0: enough fine. Which is yeah. most games nowadays. So we shouldn't be that disappointed. It's just the pedigree and everything else that goes into it. You're like, oh, come on. Why isn't it amazing?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it was just obtuse. It, it, it was just, yeah. it was a little clunky. And just, why is this a thing? And thematically, why are we doing this? And why are yeah. the golems carrying my shock beam bags out <laughs> from the stores? I don't know why <laughs> going to, yeah, you, you've, you've got your clearly, own like
0: headcanon for the theme here. I love it. <laughs> I, I mean,
1: you've clearly bought too many, uh, I don't know, shoes and dresses and uh, board games from the store. I need to kill you off. I'm sorry. Like you've, you've bought too many stuff at the mall. I don't know. But all right. Well, speaking of, you know, average kind of Euro games that are in the market these days, Gutenberg, a Gutenberg <laughs> to you, Anthony, happy Gutenberg to everybody out there. Gutenberg, my friends, from Portal Games is another of those Euro games and with a really interesting theme that I was really excited. I I bought this myself. I think, Anthony, you picked up a copy as well?
0: Yes, I did.
1: Yeah, and this game is all about the pioneers of printing back in the 15th century. And basically throughout the game, you are working one of these Gutenberg presses. And your job is to produce all these wonderful printed works by utilizing all the technologies, inks, decorations, and matching up with the patrons throughout the game. So unlike Gollum, which did have a, it seemed like an endless board with endless number of choices and things like this, Gutenberg is a very slimmed down, streamlined game. Basically, the the main game board itself is pretty simple. Basically, it's going to, represent the different actions that are available on your own board and primarily the actions are taken in an auction system so you are going to be given a number of black cubes based upon the turn order and then secretly behind a shield you will decide how many cubes to put in each of the different areas in order to you know auction or try to win that particular spot just to be able to go first if you're not going first, don't worry about it. At some point, based upon where you are in turn order and how many cubes you have in the spot, you will be able to take the actions on the board, which was very nice. It's it's nice to be able to do something. Uh, I know, Anthony, you're not a fan of not being able to do a thing when you play a board game, right?
0: That is the death knell for a game for me. Like Anytime I can't do a thing on my turn that I should be able to do, or if somebody completely undoes the thing I just did. <laughs> now you get a dodge from me. That's not, it's no good.
1: Yeah. So at the very least, you're going to be able to take the action. You're just not going to be able to take the action earlier, which means there's going to be less choices, but throughout the whole game, it seemed like we all had enough cubes that if we absolutely positively wanted the first choice, we could invest in that action and be able to get it. So let's talk about the actions. Actions are pretty simple. You can have a choice of five different actions in the game And primarily, victory points in the game are going to be based upon completing contracts. And the contracts are going to require certain letters. Now, this is really where Gutenberg kind of really upped their game as far as the game components here. You're going to have these little wooden, I guess, typeset letters that you're going to be able to use throughout the game. So it has all the vowels and none of the other letters. It's just basically a little bit abstracted, but you're just trying to find the right vowels to go in the game. And, again, so you have the contracts that's going to ask you for certain letters, and then there's going to be some flourishes to the book. So, of course, there's going to be certain ink pigments that are going to be asked for. So there's going to be two cards that are going to come into play to make a full contract. But if you just, you know, print the book just generally, like in black ink, they're fine with it. But if you're able to get on with the use, the ink or the technology or the ink and technology, you're going to score extra points and and abilities throughout the game. So the contracts are very important. At the start of the game, you're going to get some contracts to start with, so you don't have to worry too much about it. And there's a lot of places where you can get contracts throughout, including completing certain contracts. After that, the next action you could possibly take is those different ink pigments. So you are going to need the different color inks in order to be able to spice up those books. And that's going to score you a lot of additional points throughout the game. Then comes into play is the different technologies. You have a, your own technology board. There are four different technologies, and throughout the game, as you up the technologies, you're going to be able to unlock certain special abilities throughout, and you're going to be able to get some additional resources throughout the game. Now, technologies are important because, as I mentioned, the second part of the contract, if you want to be able to complete, typically will require a certain technology at a certain strength. So every time you pick up those different technology cards, it's going to have symbols for the different technologies that are gonna relate to your board. So you're gonna be able to move the cubes up there. Now, this is really the kind of fun part of the game. There are gears. Now the gears are a really interesting part of the game because the gears are going to be placed on your board. And when they're placed on your board, you're gonna have the opportunity to be able to turn them each and every round. And based upon where they're facing, you're gonna get the the special benefit. Uh, You could have three gears on your board and and they're all gonna turn in unison. And then they're all going to give you a special benefit. Some are victory points, some are ink, some are just different opportunities to score and move your pieces throughout. There's also those letters I mentioned previously. You're going to need them in order to complete the contracts. As you have an opportunity to buy them and put them onto your own kind of like player area, you'll be able to use those letters to match up with the different contracts that you need. They're going to have to be set for that particular card so you can't take the a i o and U. use it on one card and flip it right over to the next one right back to back those letters will be with you throughout the game so you'll be able to score points the more letters that are on those contracts the more victory points that come into play and finally there are the patrons the patrons are going to give you opportunity to score a lot of points but typically they want stuff that's high quality they might require x number of inks or certain technologies or certain letters in play But if you get them at the end of the game, it's going to score a lot of points. And that's pretty much what you want to do. One of the really interesting things about Gutenberg, which we talked about a little bit earlier in some of the other games, is that there are unique player powers that you can start right at the beginning. So you'll have an opportunity to bring in one of those people of the age that has a special ability. And that really kind of, you know, changes up gameplay a little bit. So Gutenberg was interesting for a lot of things. The gears moving was a lot of fun. Having the special player power was a lot of fun. The certain components in the games was fun. Contract completing, like Marco Polo, always a lot of fun. The auction, but also being able to always be able to do something was great. And overall, it gets a solid play for me. This is a decent game, probably a little expensive. I feel like this is probably about a $50 game. I think this. I think the MSSRP on this was about $70, but it's a good game, plays better at the higher player count because anytime you have auctions, you want to have more players. There you go. Gutenberg.
0: Yeah, I, I think I I think I agree with everything you said. Um, and like here's the thing about this game too. Like the, the thing that sold it to me was the theme. Right. Yes. Similar to Golem. Like I saw the theme of the game and I was like, that's a cool theme that doesn't exist and I want it. And the reviews were generally fine. And I was like, I'm going to pick this up. And for that reason, I'm very happy with my purchase because it captures the theme. I feel fairly well with the little typeset pieces and the all the different things you have to take into consideration when you take on these orders. Like everything makes sense within the thematic construct of the game, right? You can complete an order just by printing the book, but you don't get all those extra points unless you also make it a pretty book, right? and that's cool that's an interesting idea that's how things generally work like there was different types of print shops there was ones that could just print stuff out and did a fine job and there's other ones that had like these big beautiful illustrated manuscripts um and i think it captures that really well i do wish because based on the cover and everything else and we talked about this a little bit while playing it that the board is a little dry like it's not it doesn't pop as much like you have those little pieces the wood pieces which are so cool like to the point where they like the letters are printed backwards. So you can put it down onto your sheet to make the letter, which is completely unnecessary, but just such a cool little step. But then the board, it's very flat. It doesn't really pop out. It's very monochromatic. Um, The cards themselves are kind of flat and monochromatic. It's, it is what it is, right? It's, it's, it fits the theme as well as anything, but I, I do wish it did a little bit more in that sense. Um, this is a game that I had fun playing. It didn't blow my socks off, but I'm going to hold on to it because it's unique among the games I own thematically. It's something that I personally have an interest in, you know, like I like the history of publishing and uh, like this whole idea of, you know, the the first age of information it, like that's a cool thing and it's a cool game to have. I do wish there was a little bit more to it than it's very, very simple, like mechanically speaking, like you're you're collecting things and then you're spending those things to fulfill orders, you know, and there's a million games that do that, a million games that do that, like the contract completion thing. It does have the, the bidding mechanic makes it different for sure, but not so different to push it up from like a mild play into like a more substantial buy. Like the wheels are cool and all, but it's just like. These are, my, these are my abilities now. I'm going to take each of them once a turn. Sometimes they're useful, sometimes they're not. It's really hard to plan them out effectively. So I agree that it's a play. I think there's a lot of really cool ideas in here that they could have taken another step with, and they didn't. And I would really like to see somebody take that wheel idea and do something more with it, like in another system or another game. I think you could do cool things with that concept. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I like Gutenberg as well.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see an expansion just because, like you said, Anthony, I think it's true, right? You can put this game on the table and say, look, here's the contracts. Here's the ink. Here's the technology. Here's the letters you could buy at any time. Here's here's the gears. Here's the patrons. It's all there on the board. Got it? Cool. So you got a contract? Fulfill the contract. You want to bid for what you want? You could do everything. You could do a couple of things and move up. Obviously, there is some luck as far as what becomes available and what you could get, but the auction thing kind of, you know, bears that out a little bit. The asymmetrical player powers also add a little fun to the game, but also a little more of the random side of it. But, yeah, it's it's a little bit lighter than I thought the game would be. I thought it was a little less complicated, you know, complex, and a lot less of those interesting choices. but. It still does follow thematically, which is the thing that I didn't think that Gollum did. So yeah, yeah. If there's something they could do to add to this, I think it'd be a great game. I'm not too sure at this moment what that would be. You know, up up some of the, you know, the production a little bit on some of the spots as you mentioned. But otherwise, throw a little expansion in here, even if it's a small expansion, and you probably have a pretty good game. But otherwise, definitely sit down and play this. That's Gutenberg. All right, so those are all the games that we're getting to the table. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are looking at one of our favorite game companies, CGE Games. We are talking about their top 10 games. We enjoy them a lot, especially since they are one of the few and far between game companies that when they produce in Euro, they know what they're doing. Like They put down a solid, good game almost each and every time. We're big fans, right, Anthony?
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, it's you just know it's it's one of those companies are like, we're going to release one game a year or maybe two. And they're going to be good because we spent the entire year making sure these one or two games are very good. They're not like churning stuff out. Um, and the result is we generally get solid stuff.
1: Yeah. And they bring out really great expansions as well to those games. And they're and they're really thought out. They're not just kind of thrown out there for cash or they're just cut off from a game. When you get one of their base games, you're getting a very good game. And when you get their expansions, it's a substantial, substan- you know, expansion, not just kind of like, and here's an extra die or a couple of extra characters. It's pretty solid. So Checks Games Edition, amazing company. So let's get into them, Anthony. What's our top 10?
0: All right, so number 10 on the list. Uh, We're going to kick things off with the first of several Vlada Shovatul games. Um, It was probably the best known uh, Czechoslovakian Czech game designer out there. Um, This one is the classic sequel (laughs) to uh, Dungeon Lords, Dungeon Pets. So Dungeon Lords came out, I don't know, 15 years ago at this point, and it was overly complicated. It was kind of hard to learn. Dungeon Pets came along and made a few changes and made the game more accessible and interesting and cuter. And now you are raising these ridiculous, crazy-looking fantasy creatures um, and kind of getting them ready to, to do all the mean things that they need to do in the world. Uh, so it's from the, the bidding mechanism of trying to get these creatures into filling out your zoos to managing the little poop tokens that end up filling them up. Uh, it's just a fantastic game. And it's one of those ones that I wish they would come back and just do like a all in edition. Like there've been some expansions for this and things come in and out of print here and there. But like, I would love to see like just a a big box version of this with updates and you don't really need to change the artwork. I think it's pretty cute. But Dungeon Pets, if you have not played this, if you want a little bit heavier, it is a heavy game. It's not super light. It is a lot of game, but Mm -hmm. it's not going to break your brain either. And it is very cute. So Dungeon Pets, number 10. (laughs)
1: You will have fun playing with poop. I think that's yes. I think that's that's the takeaway, Anthony. You will have you fun will. playing. with poop. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, our number nine game. This game we recently talked about. This is Alchemist. Alchemist is a game about, I guess, the magical education system that oddly uses a computer app in order to help you figure out how the different magical resources combined to produce the alchemy in order for you to kind of publish your results. And, you know, every once in a while you have to test those results out on unsuspecting students in order to figure out what works with what. It was one of those really interesting games because back in the day, not only did you not have the app so much, but you had this really beautiful pyramid board where you were able to test out all the different resources throughout the game and then see what things were actually viable and what's not viable for that particular game. Beautiful, colorful, great graphic design, really functional app to kind of, you know, get the gameplay going, but you didn't have to use the app. But it, again, once you're playing the game and you're trying to figure out all those different formulas, the app helps a lot. So it's a really smart addition to the game. That's our number nine, Alchemist.
0: All right. Number eight on the list is Zolkin, the Mayan calendar. This one came out 10 years ago now, which is crazy. That was 10 years. <laughs> um <laughs> And this was the first uh, project together for Simone Luciani and Daniel Tashini, who have gone on and done uh, several other games together. All are amazing. Um, But in this one, you are playing with those little gears. You will place workers out. They will rotate around these gears every round they turn, kind of powering up the action that you will take when you finally take your worker off of the board. So on your turn, you can either place workers out or pick them up. And you get to choose when and how to do that, but spots will get blocked. Things will come up. If you leave something on too long, it becomes useless. It comes off the board. If the manage is a different resource, move up these different temple tracks. It's one of the great civilization style worker placement games. And with the expansion, it's even better. The tribes and prophecies. So uh, Zolkin, the Mayan calendar at number eight.
1: Our number seven game is Sanctum. Sanctum was a competitive Diablo-like board game that allowed you to use RPG elements to upgrade your character, to be able to go down a road in order to fight off the, the major demon lord throughout the game. So you're moving, you're fighting demons, you're upgrading with skills and acquiring special abilities throughout, and then you're just doing all the kind of classic RPG elements. This was one of the biggest surprises, especially... Uh, you know, d- during that kind of COVID shipping year ba- back in like two th- 2019, it was a really fun game. The final battle could use a little upgrade, but throughout the game, having those dice into play and having those different characters was a lot of fun. That's our number seven, Sanctum.
0: Number six is one of the all-time classics. The original came out in 2007, um, but we're talking about the 2021 re-release of Galaxy Trucker from Vlada Shavatel. This game uh, does a lot of things to resolve some of the issues that the earlier game had. It makes it shorter, more accessible. It streamlines a lot of the gameplay. So you do everything in one single flight through space instead of two or three. It makes it a true family game in that it only takes 20 or 30 minutes. The fun, goofy nature of building your ship is, in fact, fun and goofy and not infuriating. (laughs) So it, it does a lot of interesting things to kind of take the real-time elements of, of like, the chaos of, like, a space alert and make it, like, a family experience in a way that few other games really manage to pull off. It's cute. It's colorful. There's new content coming out for it soon. It's one of Vlada Shavatel's all-time great games. It's Galaxy Drucker.
1: Our number five game is a game you probably have not played, but you absolutely should play. It's by (laughs) Vladimir Suchi. This is Shipyard. Shipyard is always thought of as the game that has almost endless numbers of rondelles. But basically what you're doing in the game is you're operating a shipyard and you're utilizing this corporation in the 19th century to be able to build up the ship, add crew, add different equipment and technology that's needed, and then sail it through the canals. What's so much fun and dynamic and thematic about this game is you're actually taking these little square ship pieces and actually building out a ship putting your crew on the ship with the different technology pieces. And by the end of the game, you have this wonderful tableau of all these different ships that you've built in your shipyard and how you were able to move them around the map and be able to pick up special abilities throughout. And again, Rondells. So Vladimir Suchi, Shipyard, one of my favorite games of all time. Obviously, this this is kind of like, it's not as flashy a lot of the games today, but it's something you should definitely get out and play until... Hopefully, eventually, they do shipyard in space.
0: Yes, (laughs) that'd be great. All right, Uh, number four on the list, another Vladimir Succi game, Last Will. This one came out in 2011, and this is the classic game of spend all your money. Uh, The the whole (laughs) idea here is that you are one of several nephews of a rich uncle who has left behind a vast fortune, but he only wants to give it to the one who enjoys money the most. So how do you prove that? You got to spend all your money first. Uh, So mechanically, you are going through and you are trying to do the craziest, least responsible things possible with your money. Buying things, making bad investments, going out to eat at ridiculous places, taking these just absolutely insane risks that, Normally, in an economic game, would be terrible, but in this one, you're doing the reverse of what you should do. Um, It's subversive, it's funny, it's fun, it's relatively quick, it's like an hour long, and there's a lot here packed in. So, Last Will, one of the great Euro games, and chronically overlooked, unfortunately. Um, That's our number four, Last Will.
1: Our number three game is Lost Ruins of Arnak this was another game that came out actually during the pandemic that blew us all away. It was basically Indiana Jones in a box. You had worker placement, you had deck building, you had exploration and discovery as you're facing down these monsters that you've never seen before. And you're, you're trying to explore and gain victory points throughout. You have a technology track that you're able to move out through the game. And again, It manages and balances all the different mechanics so very well that each and every part is absolutely necessary in order to succeed. It really does come down to like the knife's edge where you're trying to squeeze out one more tablet or one more gold token in order to hit that last point on the track. It's a lot of fun, and the expansion makes the game fantastic with their asymmetrical player powers.
0: All right, number two on the list uh, from the all-time great Vlada Shavatel, uh, working with Scott Eaton, is the two-player version of Codenames, Codenames Duet. Now, Codenames is an all-time great party game, one of the, the best of all time, but Duet manages to take that gameplay and do something interesting and creative with it, turning it into a truly cooperative experience, where two people will take turns giving each other those one-word clues to try to solve the puzzle in front of them, the grid is laid out like normal, the 5x5, five five, and the the clue sheet is very cleverly designed so that you have multiple different possible losing locations, depending on who is taking the clue at any point in time. Uh, the game by itself is a lot of fun, but then you can do the campaign mode where you're moving around to different cities on the map, and the game gets more complicated, asking you to complete it faster or to lose less innocent bystanders along the way. Codenames is a great game. Codenames Duet is a fantastic, amazing version of that game and my favorite way to play it by far.
1: And our number one game, not a big surprise here, but always great and very welcomed is from Vladar Svartal, Through the Ages, A New Story of Civilization. This is for a lot of people, me in particular, the quintessential civilization building game. Yes, you don't have a map where you're kind of moving resources, but you do have all the different elements of that kind of evolution of a civilization through different three different ages. You're managing food, you're managing iron and materials, you're managing uh, science and military, and then there's a whole bunch of different islands to explore, a, a number of different opportunities to make packs with other civilizations around you, a lot of just ups and downs kind of cards that you get to play into the different ages that pop up at different times. So sometimes you have to deal with a plague or sometimes you have to deal with a scientific revolution, but you're also able to add all the great minds and military leaders of the age to lead your civilization to victory, not to mention upgrading your governmental structure throughout Plus, all the monuments that come into play. Again, this is a one of the heaviest, kind of crunchiest civilization games. But once you sit down and learn it, it's one of the most enjoyable board games out there of all time. If you're a little bit worried, don't. Get yourself the app on an iPad or something else or, or you know, download it on Steam and uh, Vlado himself will be able to walk you through all the different gameplay elements. One of the best apps of all the time. One of the best board games of all time. And it's just a joy to play through each and every time. And that's why uh, Through the Ages, New Story of Civilization is our number one game from CGE. All right, everyone. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris.
0: And this is Anthony.
1: And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care. Bye, see ya!